0: Let me welcome you to Crossroads. We're excited that you're here joining us for uh, what is the beginning of Holy Week. This is Palm Sunday. And again, uh, a very special time for us as we enter into Holy Week. I want to welcome those who are joining us also online. They're joining us on Facebook Live. And again, if you have your phone in your hand uh, in the auditorium or if you're at home watching, we'd love you to share this from our page to your page. Because again, the more people we get to watch, just the more impact today's service has, whether it's the worship or the message, or the very special time of communion that we're going to have at the end of today's service. Also, comment below. Let us know where you're watching or listening from. Let me highlight a few things that are happening uh, today, this week, and next weekend. Today at 4 p.m. on the West Lawn, uh, we're jumping back in. It's our Easter extravaganza, kind of an Easter egg hunt kind of thing, games, toys, food for uh, our Wamble Land and Upstreet Kids. It starts at 4 o'clock, 4 until 5.30 so if you have a child or a grandchild that you would love to be uh, here this afternoon, just remember it's at 4 p.m. And we will finish promptly at 5.30 p.m. because after today we, we wore out. OK, so anyway, be here at four o'clock. Uh, bring your kids or your ga- grandkids because we want them to be here and to participate. It's kind of sad because the last couple of years uh, we kind of pulled back because it, you, no matter what you did, it was wrong. If you did it, you were wrong. If you didn't do it, it was wrong. So again, we're trying to ease back in. And I just long for those days when we did things uh, and we had three or 400 people there. Actually, I remember the glow in the dark when we did across the way here in Edgerton Hall one day. And it was just more people than we could even shake a stick with. Or stick at, but again, uh, we're longing to get back to that place. So this is our attempt to kind of dip our toe back into the water and start to start to get things going back, not like they were, but better than what they were. So again, we want you to be here this afternoon. Also, let me say this. With that being said, on Friday of this week is our good service. Our Good Friday service is back after missing the last couple of years. So it will be Friday at noon here in the auditorium. And again, uh, communion is a part of that service. Uh, If you've never attended a Good Friday service, most of them are pretty dark because that's kind of the the way it should be. Uh, It looked like there was no hope on Good Friday. It looked like things were bad, Uh, even though we know the outcome is different. But we want you to be here and just have that time with fellow believers and remember the sacrifice that was made on your behalf on that Friday. So again, join us at noon and then immediately after the service. We will provide lunch for you in the middle space, the luxurious dining room of Crossroads Church. So we encourage you to stay. It doesn't cost you a thing. The lunch is free. And if you are taking your lunch hour and needing to go back to work and you're short on time, we're going to have to-go plates, and we'll fix you up at the go plate. So, again, no charge for that. But, again, join us this coming Friday at noon here in the auditorium. Uh, Let me also say next Sunday morning, Uh, We kind of abandoned this the last couple of years. Uh, We're going to provide you with a continental breakfast next uh, Sunday morning. So again, it takes the pressure off of you getting the kids ready, getting all the outfits on, getting all the pictures taken. You can come to Crossroads and before this service or after this service, you can enjoy uh, breakfast on us. There'll be uh, sweets, there'll be salties. There'll be yogurts, there'll be juices, there'll be them little wieners, you know what they call them cocktail things. There'll be quiches, there'll be all that kind of stuff. It just sounds wrong saying wiener in church, you know what I'm saying? But anyway, we'll have those little cocktail wieners, and again, so we want you to be here, uh, come and come hungry because we don't want any food left over. So again, you're not going to eat in here; you'll have to eat in there. But you can come, and you can starting at 7:30 in the morning until after this service. We'll we'll serve after this service also. So if you want to. Do before and after. I don't care. Just eat the stuff. We want you to have a good time. So again, Continental Breakfast next Sunday. And again, we're just doing two regular. We're not adding a bunch of services. We're doing our two service times, 830 and 10 o'clock. So again, be here early. And it would be nice if some of you could come to the 830 service instead of this service because a lot of times people visit, they actually want to visit this particular time instead of the earlier time. Well, for those that may not know, we began a series about three weeks ago. Uh, it kind of finds itself rooted in the words of Jesus. You you remember those, uh, the words of Jesus where he said, I I want you to let your light shine. Uh, I just want you to go out as my follower and I want you to let your light shine because when you let your light shine, in other words, what Jesus was saying, when people look at you and they see the good deeds that you're doing as a result of the fruits of the Spirit, those characteristics that the Holy Spirit is growing in you, then when people see your good deeds... Those good deeds that you're doing, not what you're saying, but the things that you're doing, they actually glorify your Father in heaven. So let me just tell you, if you're taking the things that we have learned the last three weeks, those seven fruits of the Spirit, those seven characteristics that we've learned so far in this series, and you've started to just take some of those and and grow those in your life, to incorporate those in your life, then, then you're kind of giving life to that old saying that goes, you know what, I'd rather ser- see a sermon than have to listen to one. Because that, that's an old adage. I remember somebody saying that, you know, I'd rather see a sermon any time than, than have to listen to one. But I just got bad news for you this morning. You're still going to have to listen to one. So that's just the way it is, whether you like it or not. You know, it, it's really interesting. I was going through my email this week, and uh, I, got an, I got an email from somebody I know. And, you know, you get so many emails from people you don't know. And I got this email from an individual I know that used to go to church here about 10 years ago. And, and again, uh, I, but I was just, you know, kind of skimming through my email. And I actually looked over it the first time because this, this person would just not send me an email. That's just not the way that they would communicate with me. And and so I was going back through email looking for something else and I saw this email and who it was from and I clicked on it and, and the wording there was just weird. Here's what it said. I wrote it down. It says, hey, just checking in. Let me know if you get this email because I need a favor from you. I was like, that don't sound right because this person that I know They would never talk to me like that. I mean, it was totally unlike anything they would ever speak to me. And here's the other thing. They have my phone number. And if they truly needed a favor, they would call me or they would text me. If they truly needed me. And I just got to thinking, this this doesn't sound right. It kind of reminded me of, of what happens to my mother a lot. My mother has a phone, and the phone number that my mother has is actually in my name. She's at Pavilion, and she will get calls two or three times a week. You're going to totally identify with this, where somebody is calling telling her that she has unpaid taxes. And that she needs to go to Walgreens and get these cards and put money on them, or the the sheriff is going to come pick her up. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, they do this. They try to scam older people, and of course, my mother is 88. She she wasn't here today, but she'll be here next week. But but she just gets all bent out of shape because I mean, she thinks that she's going to be hauled off to jail, and, and again. I, I tell her, I said, Nancy, I, I mean, I call her that. Nancy, I said, Nancy, here's what you need to know. The phone number is in my name, not yours. They don't even know they're calling you. But they get you, and they realize you're older, and they think they can sucker punch you. And they scare you. That's what this email that I got from this person was trying to do to me. It wasn't the person that, said, that it said it was. It was somebody who had hacked their email. And ultimately, what they wanted from me was the very same thing. They wanted me to go. They needed money from me. They wanted money from me. They needed a favor from me. And ultimately, I saw straight through it. Just somebody trying to take advantage of me because it wasn't even the real person. It's funny. I mean, think about it. When people try to take advantage of you, it it starts to make you look at every person and every circumstance with suspicion. Am I right? I mean, when somebody does that and you fall victim to that, the next time you ain't going there. Because you start looking at everything. When somebody takes advantage of you, it starts to make you look at every situation and circumstance with suspicion. And maybe you had a business partner who did that to you, who did some stuff behind your back. Maybe you had a business partner who did something, and you didn't know about the stuff, and then they exited the business, and what are you left? You're left there having to pay the bills. Or maybe you have a spouse who broke a promise, and they were less than honest, and they were less than faithful. Maybe you have a parent, and and in some way, shape, form, or fashion, your parents have broke a promise to you. Or Or maybe you have a friend that you got down and just really open and honest with. And you told them about something that was happening in your life. And you just requested, don't tell anybody about this. But the next thing you know, it's all over social media. Let me tell you. It's hard to trust when someone has given you no reason to trust. It's hard to trust when somebody has given you no reason to trust. And I think it's a pretty safe bet bet that most of us in this room, we hate it when people betray our trust. We hate it when people do do something like that to us. And although we don't like it, although we hate people to do us that way, I think if we take the time to just kind of look in the mirror and to look at ourselves, most of us in this room, most of you watching online and listening online, Most of us are just like the people that we say we don't like because all of us have had those times in our lives when we have been unfaithful because all of us, chief sinner here, we've all broken promises that we've made to other people. Because here's the thing. When it comes to broken promises, none of us have a perfect track record. There is only one person who can lay claim to that. And I don't know where you are with that one person. I don't know where you are today with God. But here's the thing I want to do this morning. I just want to share with you the thing that I've learned about God. And I'm going to tell you, I've been on the mountain and I've been in the valley. But if there's anything that I have learned about God that is tried and true, the thing that I have learned is that God can be trusted. Listen to me when it comes to God. There are no jokes. There's no conning. There's no... Gimmicks, there's no gotcha. As a matter of fact, God is incapable of breaking his word because God keeps his promises. It's hard for me to remember. I was really trying to visualize this because I kind of can. You know, you know how you have a dream and you wake up and you can remember the dream vividly and then 15 minutes later you can't remember it? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, it's just the way it happens. But I was looking back at my life, and I can't remember where I used to go buy these things, but I think it was uh, at a store just off the square, something called Cliff Notes. Does anybody know what that is? Yeah, it was a little yellow pamphlet. So here's the, here's the bottom line. The bottom line is the teacher would give you uh, a, a, an assignment, and the assignment was to read a book. But you never took the time to read the book, so you would go to the store and you would buy the little yellow pamphlet, ch- pamphlet which was called a cliff notes. And the cliff notes would give you a synopsis of the book. Now what you do is you just Google it, okay? So, again, we're going old school, we're going new school. But, again, so you can do one or the other. You can either cliff note it or you can Google it. Has anybody ever given you an assignment, some type of assignment, and said, here's what I need. I need you to research this or I need you to read this. Have you ever done this? And instead of reading it, you bought the cliff notes or you went onto to Google and you just Googled what everybody said and you turned that in. Anybody ever done that? Yes, I know you have. Don't lie. or right, Liars go to hell. So, anyway, that's what I'm just telling you. We've all done it. But Cliff Notes was just kind of a synopsis. How can I not say that word? Synopsis, I'm not speaking in tongues, synopsis of of what the book was about. And we would just turn that in. I want to do that this morning. I want to give you a Cliff Notes of what the Bible is about. And I'm going to tell you, that doesn't mean I don't want you to read the Bible because I want you to read the Bible. You need to read the Bible because the Bible is so, so good. But if I could give you a Cliff Notes synopsis. I said it. Of the Bible, here's what it is. God longs for a relationship with people like you. But people like you and me, we broke the relationship. That's that's just the Cliff Notes version of the Bible. God longs for a relationship with people like us, but people like us broke the relationship. And the Bible tells the story that throughout history, God has been moving in different ways to restore the relationship. I mean, history tells us that it's God who takes the initiative to actually fix the things that you and I have broken. I love the way the message says this. The message translates this. So look at with me at Ephesians 1, verses 4, 5, and 6. The message reads this way. Says, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as the focus of his life to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Why? Because God longs to have a relationship with people like us. But people like us broke that relationship. And so God went to work. And throughout history, God has moved to restore that relationship with people like us. And one of the main ways that God moved through history was through the life of a guy named Abraham. And again, if you don't know much about Abraham, you can read the life story of Abraham in the book of Genesis. And if you don't know much about the Bible, Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. The, the question is, why did God choose him? Why Abraham? I mean, now now, now listen to me. It wasn't because Abraham was this stellar individual. It wasn't because Abraham was keeping all the rules. Because listen, at the time Abraham lived, they didn't even have the rules. It wasn't because he was a good guy. It wasn't because he was a stellar guy. But God chooses Abraham... Because Abraham believed that God existed out there. And not only did he believe that God existed, Abraham also believed that God could do anything. Romans chapter 4, verse 3 says this. For the scriptures tell us, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. So God comes to Abraham, and God makes Abraham a promise. And let let, let me me tell you, it's not just a promise. It's what I call a four-pronged promise. God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you into a great nation. The second thing that I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a new place to call home. Thirdly, I'm going to provide protection for you. And maybe the most important thing, Abraham, is the fourth thing. One day, I'm going to bless the whole world through you. And, And it's that fourth thing That was really the the foreshadowing or the foretelling of the coming of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was going to come into the world and provide forgiveness and salvation. Jesus was coming into the world to restore that relationship with broken people like us. It's not going to be on the screen, but in Genesis 15, God tells Abraham, Abraham, I, I want you to look at the, star, the stars, and I want you to try to count all the stars. And as you're counting those stars, the other thing that you can count on is that's how many kids you're going to have. All of those descendants, Abraham, are going to come through a son. And I'm going to give that son to you and to your wife, Sarah. Now, that's a promise. That's a big-time promise. Because God makes this unbreakable covenant with Abraham. And again, when you talk about a covenant, when you talk about something that's, that's an unbreakable covenant that's made by the very God of heaven and earth, you really have to understand what we're talking about when we talk about a covenant. Here's the, word for the, the Hebrew word for the word covenant. The Hebrew word for the word covenant is berith. That's the Hebrew word for the word covenant. That's what God made with Abraham. It's a promise. And again, when you go to the Old Testament, this is one of the reasons why I love the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when you talked about a covenant, covenant was something that was taken seriously. Because again, when you talk about a covenant, you're talking about a promise. And here's the thing. It's one thing to make a promise, but it's a completely different thing to keep that promise. I want to show you another word. The next word is kesed. From the back back here. Kesed. That means covenant keeping. Promise keeping. Kesed. Berith refers to the covenant. But kesed is all about covenant keeping. It's about your willingness to go the distance, to do whatever it takes to keep the promise. And that's the very thing that you need to understand. This is the very thing that God always does. As a matter of fact, Numbers 23 is a great reminder of this. Look look at Numbers 23, verse 19. It says, God is not human. That he should not lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Absolutely not. Because I said it early. God's track record with promise keeping is impeccable. What does God do? He kissed Barith. He always keeps his promise. So God gives Abraham this promise that he's going to make him the father of many nations. And then the father of many nations, what that's going to happen, how that's going to happen, it's all going to come through this one son that he and his wife Sarah, are going to have. And, and, and again, here's the thing I want you to understand, because you, you can kind of look over some parts of this story that are very important. To be in your 20s and God come to you and tell you you're going to have a son, I mean, that all makes sense. But Abraham and Sarah are in their 90s. So I want you to check out, this is a part of the story we usually don't look at, I want you to check out Sarah's response to the promise that God had made Abraham. Because Sarah, just like a woman, Over here, listening, you know, trying to hear, trying to eavesdrop. Women don't take that personally, okay? I'm just having some fun. But she's over there listening to God and Abraham talking. And that would have been so cool to hear God talking to Abraham. But she's listening, and she hears the promise that God tells Abraham that he's going to give to Abraham and Sarah a son. And as she's over there leaning out the, the shadows of the tent, she starts to laugh. She overhears that she and Abraham are going to have a child and they're both in their 90s and here's what it says in verse 12 of Genesis 18. It says, "So she laughed silently to herself and said, how could a worn out oh Lord Jesus here we go. How could a worn out worn out woman like me enjoy such pleasure? Especially she throws him under the bus when my master My husband is so old. You know what she was saying, basically? God, you telling me I'm going to have to buy diapers for my husband and my child at the same time? It ain't going to happen. That is ridiculous. But look at the next verse. Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Just goes to tell you, you can't do nothing without God hearing it, okay? Why did she say, can an old woman like me have a baby? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now look at this next part. I will return about this time next year. And Sarah will have a son. Sarah was afraid. So she denied. I I didn't say that. I didn't laugh. But the Lord said, yeah, you did. You did laugh. And even though it was something that sounded impossible, you have to realize it was God who was making the promise because God is Kessid Barith. He's a way maker. He's a miracle worker. He's a promise keeper. As a matter of fact, in Genesis 15, verse 6, it says that Abraham believed God. Then, Genesis 21, the first verse says, The Lord kept his word and did for Sarah exactly what he had promised. After battling fertility issues for 90 something years, Abraham is now 100, Sarah's 91. She gives birth to the very child that God had promised them. And do you know what they named him? Isaac, which means laughter. (laughs) I mean, think about that. Can you imagine how much joy it must have been for this couple who had struggled their whole life with the issues of infertility? But Isaac really was laughter to them because he was the promise. He was the dream. Because listen to me this morning, it would be through him that everyone on this earth was going to be blessed because the Messiah, the Savior of the world, would come through this boy this boy named laughter. So let's jump to the old, from the Old Testament over to the New Testament because I love what Romans 4, how, how it talks about this, how it talks about the faith of Abraham and Sarah and the faithfulness of God. Now, you have to remember that the writer of this is Paul. The writer of Romans 4 is Paul. And, and Paul is writing to let us know that we just need to understand. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Eternal life is a gift. That's what we need to understand. It's a gift that's given to you. You you don't get access to eternal life because you've been good. You don't get access to eternal life because you've kept all the rules. You don't get it because of your parents or your grandparents. Because eternal life isn't something that you can inherit, and it isn't something that's passed down to you. But look at Romans 4. Here's what Paul writes. That is what the scriptures mean when God told him, I have made you the father of many nations. This happened because Abraham believed in the God who brings the dead back to life and who creates new things out of nothing. It's that belief right there. That belief that he can raise the dead and make things out of nothing. Let let, let me tell you, listen, 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 listen. That's the belief that gets us through. That's the belief that gets you through when you lose somebody in your family, a spouse, a mom, a dad, a husband, a wife, a child. That's the belief that gets you through. The belief that he can raise the dead and make something out of nothing. Let me tell you, that's the very belief that is going to get the family of Bob Lowe through these very difficult times. Bob was a steadfast believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But this is the belief that will get his family through the next several days as Bob passed away Friday night or early Saturday morning. And his family prepares the funeral this week to remember Bob and his life. It's the belief that God can raise the dead and make things out of nothing. It gets us through that graveside service. It gets us through the bedside, sitting at the bedside of somebody who's passing away. That's the belief that gets us through the most difficult times in our lives. Listen to me this morning. Listen, listen, listen. Some of you need to hear this. We grieve, but we don't grieve without hope. Because we know that God really can bring the dead things back to life and that he really is making all things new. Look at verse 18. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. It's gonna happen, Abraham. That's what God said. It's gonna happen. You know why it's gonna happen, Abraham? Because I'm Kesed Barith. I'm the God who keeps my promises. Can I tell you something I've kind of learned? I've learned that there's a difference between believing in God and believing God. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There's a difference between believing in God and believing God. See, if we were to leave here today and we were to go to Walmart and we were to stand out in the parking lot with a a clipboard and a pen and we were to ask questions, if we were to ask people, do you believe in God? I'm going to tell you, most every person that you would survey in the Walmart parking lot, in their pajamas, might I ask. Might might I add, I went there the other day and I have people in pajamas. I was like, my gosh, house shoes and pajamas. But if you were to ask them, do you believe in God? I'm going to tell you, even the people in the pajamas would say yes. Most everybody will tell you they believe in God. They'll tell you that they believe that God exists. I mean, the scripture says even the demons believe that, that God exists. So the question remains, do you believe in God? Or do you really believe God? Do you believe that you can trust him? Do you believe that you can trust his word? Do you believe that God is going to be faithful to do the things that he said that he would do? Do you trust his character? Do you trust his work on the cross on your behalf? Do you trust his better view? Do you trust his power for transformation in your life from the inside out? Do you walk, listen, 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 listen. Do you walk by faith? Are you right now, regardless of what's happening in your life, are you walking by faith? I want to share a quote with you. I I think I may have shared this before. But anything you share from Brennan Manning is usually going to be good. But here's what Brennan Manning says. He says, to trust is to be convinced of the reliability of God. To trust is to be convinced of the reliability of God. Even when there's no reason, to trust is to be convinced of the reliability of God. And even when there was no reason, Abraham kept hoping. Because he was absolutely convinced of the reliability of God. Look at verse 19. And Abraham's faith did not weaken. Even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb. Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And, and in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. To trust is to be convinced of the reliability of God. Listen to what I'm about to say. God's faithfulness is his gift to us. Our trust is our gift back to him. Let's jump over to Hebrews 11. That's where we find the Hall of Fame or Hall of Faith chapter because it's there where we find people who have this incredible faith, people who were like us, who are imperfect. But even in their imperfection, they walked by faith. And Abraham and Sarah are actually included in the faith chapter. Here's what it says, Hebrews 11, chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 11. It was by faith that even Sarah was able to have a child, though she was barren and was too old. She believed that God would keep his promise. And so a whole nation came from this one man who was as good as dead. A nation with so many people that like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore, there's no way to count them. Never forget that God can do anything except, God can do anything except break his promise. And you know what that means? That means that I can't let my circumstances dictate my faith, amen? Amen. I can't let my circumstances dictate my faith. Because God is the faithful promise keeper. And to trust is to be convinced of the reliability of God. Kesed barith. He keeps his promises. You can believe him. I love what it says about all of the people who walked by faith. Look at it starting at verse 13. It says, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and they welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who who say such things are looking forward to a country that they can call their own. Because if they had longed for the country that they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a a better place. They were looking for a, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. That's a promise. That's the promise that God has made to you. That's exactly what God has promised us. God has promised us a better place. You know what he's promised you and he's promised me? He's promised us a heavenly homeland. He's promised us a place without pandemics, a place without political chaos. He's promised us a perfect place without evil. God is preparing in this very moment a place, a homeland, where every nation and tribe will praise Jesus Christ, the promised one who restored the broken relationship with us so that we could live with him forever. So what happens until then? Until that day, guess what God promises you? He promises his presence. He promises peace. He promises to give us wisdom and direction. He promises to give us his spirit so that in us he can produce joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. He wants to grow and produce those things inside of us. He promises to make a way every time where you can escape any temptation. He promises to finish all the good things that he started in you. Let me tell you what else he promises. He promises to never leave you nor forsake you. He promises that nothing will ever separate you from his unfailing love. He promises you an inheritance in heaven. And he promises us that he's coming back one day to make all things new. And that's his promise. He's kissed Barith. And you can believe him. He will never lie to you. He will never con you. He will never mistreat you or mislead you. He doesn't ghost you. He won't tell you one thing and then do another to cover up his tracks. Let me tell you, you can trust God. Listen to me this morning. You can trust him because he is true to his word. He never breaks his promise. He never has to swear to God because he is God. The one who saved the world through Abraham is not going to break a contract with you in the fine print and surprise you. Because in his character, there is no hint of malice or deceit. His word is his bond. And not just for a little while, but forever and ever because he is the faithful one. The name above all names. The promise keeper whose mercies are new every morning and all day long. And what he's thinking about right now is you. That you're on his mind. He's thinking about you right now, and he calls you to believe in his unshakable love until you see him face-to-face one day in heaven above, because you can believe him. You just simply walk by faith. Don't just believe in him, but believe him. Know him as your father. Know him as the faithful God. Be fully convinced in the reliability of God because, listen, he is the very definition of faith. You know, we titled this series, Don't Tell Me, Show Me, because that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. I can't. I have to be careful here. I can't. I have a strong distaste in my mouth for people who say they follow Jesus, but I don't see any Jesus in their actions. Amen? They can tell me all about Jesus, but I can't see it in their actions. So I just said, you know what? I'm going to talk about that. And I'm going to use that as um, the fruits of the Spirit. That's what we need to show people in our lives. Because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to develop in us and grow in us are those nine fruits of the Spirit. So we titled this series, Don't Tell Me, Show Me. So if you want someone to show you faithfulness, I'm going to give you a verse because this verse tells me about Jesus. Luke chapter 9 verse 51 says, As time drew near for his own return to heaven, Jesus moved steadily onward toward Jerusalem. With an iron wheel. That's a part of the Easter story I bet nobody has ever even highlighted to you. But as time drew near for Jesus to return to heaven, Luke writes it down and he says, Jesus moved steadily onward toward Jerusalem. And he didn't just move there, you know, lackadaisically. It says here, he moved toward Jerusalem with an iron will. Because that's what faithfulness looks like. That's what self-control looks like. You want to know what faithfulness looks like? You want to know what self-control looks like? You want to know what those two fruits of the Spirit looks like? It's that verse right there, verse 51 of chapter 9. It says, Jesus moved steadily onward with an iron wheel. I mean, think about this. If you knew in your life in order for you to keep a promise that there was a cross waiting for you in your future, what would you do? How would you respond? What would you do to restore that relationship, that broken relationship with people like us? Knowing that on Friday that you were going to be mocked and rejected. And spit on, and flogged, and then beaten, and ultimately nailed to a tree. If you knew that, listen to me. Would you have moved steadily toward Jerusalem? If you knew that that was going to happen to you, would you go ahead and move on toward Jerusalem with an iron wheel? Especially if you were Jesus and you have the power to stop it? Well, Jesus did. He moved steadily toward Jerusalem. Listen to me this morning. Jesus had a choice and he chose you. He had a choice and he chose us. Why would he choose us? Because he's Kessid bereft. He keeps his promises. And today, here's the thing. My desire to explain and to show you faithfulness, it, it may have fallen short. But you know, when I look at that verse that I see there, when I look at Jesus, I see it. I see faithfulness. And I see self-control. So today I thought that we could celebrate what Jesus has done and who he is. And we're going to do that in just a moment by simply celebrating communion together. I thought it would be a great thing for us to do as we enter Holy Week, Easter week, just for us to take a moment and to thank Jesus for his faithfulness to us. You see in that upper room, Jesus took some bread and he told those that were with him, this this is my body. This is my body that's broken for you. And this weekend as we start Holy Week, heading into Good Friday, leading up to Easter at the end of the week, We just have a great way to start and that's being grateful to that one who is the bread of life who laid down his life for us and he allowed his body to be broken on that tree so that he could keep his promise so that he could keep his word when Jesus was eating that Passover meal he also picked up a cup and he said this cup represents my blood which is going to be shed. This is a new covenant and it will wash away the sins of the world. And today in just a moment we're going to take both of the elements of communion communion We're going to do it with gratitude. We do it with gratitude because He chose us. Can I ask you, if you would, to bow your head and close your eyes? Just a second, I'm going to pray. And I know some of you are new, some of you have not taken communion here at Crossroads before. And we do it a little bit differently. I was pretty emphatic this morning that we were going to do it old school. You know, we've got so COVID-19 protocol savvy stuff that we gave people the last couple of times we've done it, in the sealed containers and, you know, with the bread and the juice and, you know, you could open it yourself at your seat. But I, I just decided this morning that, you know what, we're going to go old school. And on the two ends of this table, we have the elements in the way that we've always done it. We have the cup and we have the bread And you'll take a cup out of the tray and you'll pinch off a piece of the bread and you'll take it with you and you'll move to the right or to the left or you'll go back to your seat. You can meditate, you can pray, you can kneel at the foot of the steps, what we call the altar. You can do it it as a family, you can do it individually as a couple. But on the two ends of the table, we have the elements that we're used to taking. I'm gonna tell you, I believe as we talked about it a while ago those, those, those elements are sanctified they're set apart but if you don't feel comfortable taking those in the center of the table we have those sealed chalices with the juice and the bread the, the juice of course will be in the top of the cup the, the bread will be on the bottom you'll want to undo the bread first and then the juice and again you can do whatever works best for you there's no judgment here you do health wise what is most comfortable the band's going to lead us in a song and we'll just progress however long it takes you take time meditate there in your seat get up, approach the table somebody will help you then make your way back to your seat and we'll just continue to close out the service with a song God we take this time to remember with gratitude this picture of faithfulness that we see in Jesus moving steadfastly toward Jerusalem, knowing what was in front of him, having the power to call 10,000 angels to stop everything. But he didn't. Because he is Kesed Barith. He's the promise keeper. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. And with gratitude this morning, deep gratitude, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf. He had a choice and he chose us. Let us not forget that. As we ask this prayer this morning Every promise that he has made, he will see through.